0: Uh, Angie and me, it has been my desire to preach that which is most burning on my heart for you for this congregation. Uh, and they're in no particular order. And uh, today what I want us to look at is the, this exhortation. Keep a high view of God's Word. That's, that's my pastoral exhortation in this final month of ministry for me here at The Rock. One of the joys for me over the years of pastoring this church has been that, that you do have a high view of God's Word. That's, that's what has drawn us together as, as a people. Uh, not just that we believe that this is God's Word, not just that, that we, uh, will defer to this as God's word, but that all of us, if we have come and stayed at this local church, it's because we share something in common, and that is a high view of God's word. And so today I, I'm really commending the church, uh, commending you for your high view of God's word, and then just exhorting you, encouraging you to keep it up maintain that high view, require it of your elders, require it of the next pastor, require it of one another, maintain, keep a high view of God's word, because at the end of days, nothing else matters. No matter what seasons the church go through, and there will be great seasons and there will be difficult seasons in the months and years and decades ahead unless the Lord returns through good times and bad times, through times of growth numerically, through times of growth in depth spiritually, in times of decline numerically, in times of stagnation spiritually, keep a high view of God's Word. When you're in conflict with one another and you just don't know how you might be able to resolve a difference of opinion or a difference of... of Um, approach, or maybe there's been someone who has sinned against you within the church. Or maybe you have sinned against someone in the church. When there's conflict among you, keep a high view of God's Word. And then everything will be fine. In fact, it'll be more than fine. It will be good. No matter what this church goes through, if you commit... To keeping a high view of God's Word. That you will be in the middle of God's will. And you will be the recipient of God's blessing. Today what I want to do is, it's an approach that I haven't often done. I want to ask ask and then answer the question, why? We already agree. That we ought to keep a high view of God's Word. But why ought we to keep a high view of God's Word? What is the motivation? And my hope is this, that I don't need to tell you to keep a high view of God's Word. uh, But I hope to to gird you in that conviction. to, To be able to encourage you and to lift you up as you do what you've already begun to do. And that you would have endurance to keep on doing that very same thing. So I want us to look at four reasons that we keep a high view of God's Word. Number one is that God's Word created the universe. Number two is that God's Word became flesh. Number three is that God's Word will raise us from the dead. But then only after we establish those three points do I want to remind us, which we already know, that God's Word... That which created the universe, that which became flesh, that which will raise us up from the dead was written down. And when you put the Bible in that kind of a perspective, is there any other alternative than to keep a high view of God's Word? Let's begin by looking at the fact that God's Word created the universe I'm just going to bounce through Genesis chapter one. Now you can try and keep up if you want, but I'm going to just be going through and take a look at at the creative power of God's Word. In fact, the whole Bible, which is the written deposit, the written testimony of, of the power and the salvation that comes through God's Word, the Bible itself begins with a self declaration that God's Word is powerful and God's Word is creative. So in Genesis 1, what we learn here is that God's Word created the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6, And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. Verse 9, And God Said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Verse 14, And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. Verse 24, And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Verse 28, or 26. Then God said, And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I mean, the pattern is so clear Uh, And it's so obvious to us, and yet I think it it bears repeating and, and remembering that God's Word is powerful and creative. That by the power of His Word, He created everything that exists. And in fact, there's nothing that exists that was not created by the Word of God. When we speak there's a vibration in our vocal cords as the air comes from our lungs out of our mouth and with our tongue and our lips and our teeth we form words. And those words come out and according to your language you can hear when someone speaks and if you speak the same language you can understand. When, what we learn in Genesis 1 is that when, when God speaks, galaxies come forth. Just, Think about that. The stars and the moon and the sun. God opens His mouth, so to speak, and out comes a universe. What a God. And He just says, you know what? I would like to create this. And He does. He says it. It happens. And all of reality is directly contingent upon, dependent upon, and tied to the Word of God. That is some God worthy to be praised. Let's think of it in a slightly different way. If God never spoke, if God remained silent, if God did not issue forth His Word, then nothing would exist. we're told that we are also sustained by the power of His Word. So not only does God speak all things into existence, the great things and the small things, the Milky Way is the expression of God's Word, as is the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls, and as is the smallest atom and molecule and and whatever it is that you discover with quantum physics. All of it perfectly ordered and arrayed By the powerful, creative Word of God. And by the very same Word, God sustains that which He has created. So that if God were to ever utter in one day, according to 2 Peter 3, He will, that all things should burn up or implode or cease to exist, that will happen. The power of God's Word. We could stop here, I think, and say that it is therefore only right. It is the only rational response to this kind of truth to say that we ought to have a high view of God's Word. What is it in nature that that inspires awe in you, created by God's Word, sustained by God's Word? Do you desire that your heart keep on beating, that you keep drawing in breath? You are created and sustained by the power of God's Word. What a foolish thing it is then for anyone to have a low view of God's word. When the very existence of the cosmos and the very existence of we ourselves depend entirely on the power of God's word. So we we keep a high view of God's word because God's word created the universe. That's number one. Number two, which is intimately connected to number one, is that God's Word became flesh. This is a statement about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that that God Himself became a man. He entered into that which He created. Uh, and, And that is astonishing. The Word became flesh. We're going to get there in a moment. But just to prepare your theological palette in your mind for what we're about to read, the Creator who spoke through His Word and created the universe, decided to join as one among His creatures. And we just celebrated the Lord's Supper. We know exactly why. To bring about our salvation. Take a look at the Gospel of John. The fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, Gospel of John, verses or chapter one, verses one to five, and then verse fourteen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first thing that ought to jump out to us is what? You started John's Gospel, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. What What does that make us think of immediately? Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, now John very intentionally takes Genesis 1, he says, if I'm going to write a biography about the Lord Jesus Christ, where do I begin? He says, well, I have to go back to the beginning because, because the, the uh, conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary, his mother, is not an appropriate starting place, not for John. So he goes back as far as he can, he, Gets the Torah out. He goes back to the beginning of the Torah. He says, "What's at the very beginning of of God's written word?" He says, "In the beginning, God." That's a good place to start. In the beginning, and he says, "In the beginning, the word." John John has read Genesis 1. He sees he sees the, the, the powerful creative work of the Word of God. And at the very beginning of his gospel, he says if we're going to understand Jesus, we have to locate him before creation. And we have to associate him. We have to identify him with the word of God that created the universe and everything in it. So in the beginning, God is paralleled here by John's gospel with in the beginning the Word. And theologically, the Trinity is a very difficult concept to understand. But what John does at the beginning of his gospel, he says, you cannot separate God from his word. Consequently, so it is with us that we are what we say. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think there's an application here for us. When God speaks, it's glorious, creative, powerful. With authority. When we speak, our true selves come out of our mouth. It's humbling for me. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, okay, all of a sudden the Word is getting a personal pronoun. Not it, but he. He. So we know that this is Jesus, but John is maintaining the suspense until verse 14. He, the Word of God, that was with God, that was active with the Father in the creation of all things, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life. The source of life is God, and the source of life is Jesus Christ. You could say them both. They're both the same thing. That It's from God that life comes. So, so whether you're a Christian or an unsaved person, or you're that tree, or you're a beluga whale in the ocean, all, all things that have life, that life is a derived life. It's not a self-sustaining life. All that life comes from God and from God through the Word of God. What was the very first thing that God created on day one? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. And it looked like if you're on the equator, if you're in Jerusalem, it looked like they have almost equal power, you know, light and darkness, 12 hours each. Remember that, day one, God created light. Verse 4, in Him, in the Word of God, was life. The source of all life for anything that has life comes from the Word of God. And the life that has always existed in the Word of God was the light of men. John knows what God created on day one. He's making a powerful point that the very first thing that God did was he took the life that was always true of him and in him, and he says, I want to share this with something and someone whom I create. What a gift. How does he do that? How does he take the life that is eternally within himself and and say, I want to share this with trees and flowers? and stars and animals and climactically on day 6 with those whom i will create in my own image how does god do that through his word now, we don't often think of that 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 god the, the every Every aspect of life, no matter how diminished in our experience, is coming from, it's issuing forth from the Creator and His Word. And in our world, because of sin, it looks like the darkness is winning. That death triumphs over life. Verse 5, But... When God said on day one, let there be light, and there was light, God was not going to allow the sin of anyone to overturn that which He decreed from the beginning. Let there be light. He didn't say let there be darkness. He said let there be light, and there was light. So it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how much we sin. It doesn't matter how much death and darkness and evil and rebellion and sinful, vile, wicked ugliness we can pile up. It will never overcome the original decree of the Word of God. Let there be light. The light shines in the darkness. And in case... Doesn't seem like it. We're told by the very written word of God, the darkness will not overcome that which God said in the beginning by his word. Now, how is God going to maintain the accuracy and the truthfulness of his first recorded utterance? His first recorded utterance was, let there be light. We sinned, and now since we've sinned, uh, death and darkness threatens to overcome the light. How is God going to preserve that which He said in the beginning? There's only one way. That's for the very word that was uttered, the light itself, to become flesh. And to turn the tables on sin. Verse 14, in order to preserve in truthfulness and accuracy that which God said in on day one, the Word had to become flesh and dwell among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what Jesus was doing. In fact, you could argue... And I will right now. (laughs) Once God said, let there be light. And then after that, once Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The word had to become flesh. Otherwise, what God said on day one is no longer true. Light has to overcome darkness. Life has to reign over death. Otherwise, God is a liar according to John's Gospel. Now, it's not that God was caught off guard. It's not as though, oh, now we did this and God had to respond by doing that. No. From before the foundation of the world, God saw the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the Word who created all things, taking on flesh and then dying on the cross in order to preserve with accuracy and fidelity the things that God has said so that God would not be made out to be a liar So we have a high view of the Word of God, that that He would go to such lengths to make sure that everything that He has ever said is absolutely trustworthy and true, that He would even send the very Word that created the universe into, into creation as a man and die on the cross so that He would be proved true and faithful. Let there be light, not dark. Directly related to this, then, is our third point. God's Word will raise us from the dead. That God did not just send Jesus into the world in order to sort of tie up a loose end and say, ha, see, I was right. Light triumphed over darkness. Life has the victory over death in the case of one. But He has done that for many children. To be called sons and daughters of the kingdom of light. You see, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So God is is doing this to be proved true and also as a great gift of salvation to the very ones who have rebelled against Him and threatened to make Him out to be a liar. Did you know that that's what our sin does? Our sin threatens to make God into a liar and he would have none of it. But not only does he prove himself to be true, he says, I want you to come and to share in the light. Flip forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. On Monday, I stood here. And Ed's casket was there. At the very beginning of the funeral, I said, Death is has no victory here. I could say it this way, that darkness has not overcome the light here because God wins. God's Word is powerful and God's Word will raise us from the dead to join in the light of the world. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to to you by a word from the Lord. Do you see that? What I'm about to say is declared to us from a word of the Lord. That we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven... And with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. So it means that everyone who has died, putting their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus will come back and with His words, He will declare, Rise from the dead. And what do you think will happen? The dead in Christ will obey. The dead in Christ will rise. Death has no victory when you put your faith, when you have a high view of the Word of God. Because the Word of God created all things. He became flesh. And He will, with a cry of command, call all of the dead in Christ to rise. That's astounding. You know why people don't believe in resurrection from the dead? They believe God can't do that. And if you take point one and two, it becomes nonsensical by the time you get to point three to suggest that God could not do such a thing. God created all of this. He can't raise a man from the dead. Of course He can. And he will. And he has. Jesus, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That Jesus has already demonstrated the power of God's Word. That, that he was crucified and buried and that he came back to life and the Word of God lives and the Word of God reigns. Having looked at all of this then, now finally we come to the Bible. And we say, the Word of God that is creative and powerful, the Word of God that became flesh to save us and to prove God to be true and not a liar, and the Word of God that will raise the dead was written down. Do you realize what we have in our hands? The written Word of God This is the most powerful document in the history of all reality in every age. It has the power and the authority of, of creating universe the universe. It has the power and the authority of, of God becoming a man. It has the power and the authority of raising the dead to life, and it's, it's in our hands. and it's on our shelves. So, why don't we read it more? I have to challenge you a bit. Even though I commend you for having a high view of God's Word, if you believe these things to be true, which I know that you do, and you have a high view of God's Word, why don't we read it more? When there's a Bible study at the church, why don't we come? There's no greater wealth, no greater power. It's right here. God's word was written down. Second Timothy chapter three. Verses sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture, all 66 books of this Bible is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God And is profitable. We live in a, in a land where we have, we have so many Bibles, we begin to take them for granted. But just for a moment, entertain this thought experiment. If you, if we removed all of the Bibles and you had no access to the Bible anymore and one Bible came up for sale and this was the price for you to purchase that Bible, You had to sell everything that you own and enslave yourself to someone so that you could have this Bible. You ought to do it. So valuable is the word of God. But we have so many that we forget its value. Would we sell everything that we have and enslave ourselves in exchange for one copy of the Bible? Now that's a high view of the Word of God. I want to close with a final exhortation that just sits on top of everything we've talked about this morning. First of all, I want to repeat, I commend you for having a high view of the word of God. That's been one of the greatest joys that I've had preaching in this church. That I know that I can speak the word of God. And so long as I'm being faithful to what the Bible says, you will receive it. That is a joy and a blessing. Not every pastor has that in his church. So thank you for that. And I charge you, as you transition to the next pastor, require the next pastor to have a high view of the Word of God. Almost everything else pairs in comparison to that one thing. That that you require the elders to have a high view of the Word of God and you require them to select a man for your uh, affirmation. And the one thing that you want to make absolute certain in that search and in your affirmation, if you're casting a vote of affirmation for a man who's going to fill this pulpit, it better be that he has a high view of the Word of God and that he will die preaching the Word of God if God asks him to. And and just to show you how important this is, I'm going to charge you with the words of Scripture in the very same way that, that Paul charged Timothy. So this is really for the preaching pastor. But I read this, and this is the charge that I put over you in that this is the charge that needs to be placed on the next lead pastor of this church. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-4. through 4. I charge you... In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. This is pretty serious, right? I charge you, by the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the fact that He's going to judge us, He's going to appear, and He's going to establish a kingdom. So this is serious, what what Paul is about to say. And this is directed to the preaching pastor of every local church, though originally it was for Timothy in Ephesus. This is what you must require of the man that comes after me in this pulpit. Preach the Word. Nothing else. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. For your part, do not be a congregation of itching ears, but require, demand, charge, The preaching pastor of this church always to preach the Word in season and out of season. Maintain a high view of Scripture and require it of your leaders. And then this church will thrive through the ups and downs, the the good seasons and the hard seasons, the the seasons of growth and the seasons of decline. If your elders and your Teaching, teaching elder, your preacher, have a high view of the Word of God. And if you require that of them, and if you don't have itching ears for anything but the Word of God, this church will thrive. There is nothing that compares to the Word of God. God's Word created the universe. And in order to be, prove God tr- God's Word to be true, the Word of God became Flesh. And defeated death and darkness. And God's Word will raise us from the dead. Bodily, from the grave. In glory. And all of this was written down for our instruction. And it is profitable for us. And were we to sell everything and become enslaved, we ought to do that. To have just one copy of God's written Word. So require this of your leaders. And especially of your preacher. This is the defining issue of our generation. What will we do with God's Word? We will continue to hold fast to God's Word. We will keep a high view of God's Word. If you do this, you'll be a minority in the city and even in the church at large. You'll be persecuted by those who call themselves Christian. But you will be in the middle of God's will and He will bless you. Keep a high view of God's Word. If you do this, God will be pleased, and this church will flourish, no matter the name of the man who stands to deliver the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. There is nothing more precious or valuable And so we cling to Your Word with all that we have. It is our hope. I thank You for this church that You have put in their hearts to have a high view of the Word of God no matter what the cost. Because the overwhelming value of knowing You through Your Word surpasses anything that could be thrown at us. And ultimately, we know that every word that You have spoken, every word that You have written will come to pass. Because you are true. We thank you for this. We thank you Lord Jesus. For the great cost with which. You affirmed the word of God. In your name we pray. Amen.